My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you here on Good Friday. The Holy Spirit is here in a really unique way. And um, I want to make sure we not only acknowledge him, but that I present in such a way that allows him to speak better than me. Sometimes our routine and our tradition can get in the way of what God wants to do. Our best efforts, it's not that we are doing anything wrong. It's that we need to keep in mind constantly that all we're doing is trying to set the table for him. Trying to make sure we remove all the obstacles, any impediment to his movement. And so I'd like to pray, Holy Spirit, do what you want to do tonight. Help us to hear your voice. We are so grateful that you abide with us, that you love us. You're the one who is the resident Lord of the church. You abide in us. You remind us of the things that Jesus spoke. You strengthen us when we are weak. You comfort us when we mourn. When we don't have the power to minister the gospel as we should, you give us that power. You anoint these very natural hands that can't do anything, but when you put your power on them and they lay their hands, when they are applied to people who are sick, all of a sudden those folk recover. You use us in ways that are extraordinary. And I pray that you would open the ears of the hearers tonight and help me to speak in concert with your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Good Friday is traditionally celebrated in the church because it, it's recognized as a moment where we understand Christ dying, being laid in the grave, suffering. And it, it, is, it is no more real today than it was yesterday. But there's something about the human experience that needs emphasis. We need moments like this to remind us in ways that just a regular Wednesday can't. And it allows us the privilege of concentration in our worship so that God can drive something home in our heart that might be otherwise overlooked or put in a slot rather than emphasized as it should. And so here we sit, remembering what Christ did. And what I'm going to do tonight is talk to you about what happened just before he was taken prisoner in the garden. So turn with me over to the book of Luke. The title of the message is Good Friday. The last prayer meeting. You know there was a last supper. There was also a last prayer meeting. Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. It says, And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
verse 41. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he arose, verse 45, from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Lord, help us as we study. Four things I'd like to talk to you about. One, customary place. Two, cautionary words. Three, a conversation with God. And four, complacent disciples. Jesus knew what he was about to get into. And um, the Last Supper was quite a moment because the whole thing was set up to serve the disciples. They ate the Passover. But then, just before he was coming out to the place of prayer, he began to wash the disciples' feet. Peter was so indignant because washing anybody's feet was the job of the lowest servant in the house the one that really couldn't cook he didn't have any skills with woodworking wasn't a herdsman wasn't a shepherd he was just a normal guy and so you say well you can't do anything else do that and Peter looked at Jesus and said you're not washing my feet Jesus said, if, if I don't, you don't have any part with me. And Peter said, well, here are my hands and my head and my body. Just, just whatever you need. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be not a part of you. And Jesus served the disciples by doing that. Now, in the body of Christ, some of you don't know what I'm about to talk about but I've been around long enough whereby people actually today have foot washings I, I, I don't know why I, 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 I don't know why now I know what they're trying to do they're trying to take a, a pattern of scripture and, and exercise it themselves performing the same kind of service to somebody else but but Remember, there was, there was a functional reason for this. They didn't have pavement. Nor did they have closed-topped soled shoes. So they had sandals. And every place you walked was dirt, rocks. It was filthy. You didn't want to come into a clean house with filthy feet. I'm not talking about just a little dirty. Filthy. So the first thing that was applied to you when you came in the house was water for your feet to clean them because they were dirty. Now, if your feet aren't dirty, they don't need to be cleaned. 
I'm just saying there was a functional aspect to this. But there are other things you can do to prove that you want to serve somebody. You can go clean their house, (laughs) wash their car, cut their grass. Foot washings are symbolic only today. And I like to apply the functional side so that there's the most productivity possible that happens. So you had the Last Supper, you had foot washing, and then it says they sang a hymn, and they went out to pray. Now, the disciples really didn't get what was going on. They, 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 they didn't know that Jesus was actually going to be apprehended that evening. They couldn't understand it. They didn't understand anything he said. I mean, he said, all of you are going to fall away tonight, every one of you. Peter said, not me. Not me. I'm with you. (laughs) Me, I, I, together, you and me. He said, Jesus said, well, before the the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times tonight. And the last thing you want to do when somebody prophesies and he is the son of almighty God and tells you you're going to fall is say you're wrong. Peter was perplexed. He didn't want to fall, but he was just... But but they had no idea what was about to happen. But it says that Jesus had a place that he went when he was in Jerusalem to pray. And it seems like the Mount of Olives was that spot. Do you have a customary place where you meet with God? Do you have a a customary time when you meet with God? There ought to be something according to your custom that is incorporated in prayer. Prayer ought not be emergency oriented. It shouldn't be just in, in case of urgent times. Prayer should be customary. And it's interesting that, that Jesus went to a garden spot because that's where it all fell apart in the beginning, wasn't it? Isn't that where it all fell apart? It was Adam, Adam and Eve in the garden. The enemy tempted them. And it was basically this. Do your will. Do what you want. Don't do what he says. Do what you want. What do you want? You want to eat it? You should. Don't deprive yourself. In fact, God doesn't want you to eat it because he knows if you eat it, you're going to be like like him and there's going to be competition. He doesn't want competition. Mm -mm, Eat, eat and enjoy. And Adam did what he wanted to do in the first garden. Jesus was the second Adam. He's going to make all things right. He's going to beat the enemy on his own turf in the same environment where the first Adam fell. The second Adam is going to have victory. In the garden. When it was the most difficult period of his life. Most of us would have had a nervous breakdown right here. At least. 
If we got this far to contemplate the reality of what needed to be done, most of us would not have even... Knowing that these folk were going to come to the garden and Judas was going to lead them exactly where he knew we were going to be, would we be there? <laughs> Time to go back to Galilee, boys. <laughs> Courage. The most difficult period of his life. He's about to give his life for humanity. And he goes exactly where he knows his apprehenders are coming. And, and as he's about to pray, he shows unusual concern for the disciples. Now, all of them are with him, save Judas. But then he takes three of them and he says, come with me, Peter, James, and John. And he brings them as close as he can. And then he says, y'all stay here. Make sure you pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then it says he goes about a stone's throw away and he begins to pray. I think the reason that he didn't bring them along with him is that they, they would be distractions. They just didn't have it. Listen, when, when, there is, when there is the kind of prayer that connects with God at a deep, intimate level, Sometimes other people are just in the way. If they really don't understand what's going on, if they, if, they, if they don't have a deep spiritual connection, if they don't understand their word, if they don't understand what God is doing in that moment, they will begin to say things and pray things that are out of order even though they're good. There is a subjective sense about what God is doing in a certain environment that can be spoiled by people who don't know. Now, I'm not saying that people who don't know can't pray. I'm just saying there are certain times when those folk who don't know should be quiet and watch. I'm not talking about watch with eyes. I'm talking about watch. Be watchful. That they don't say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, or think the wrong thing to, to spoil the atmosphere of what the Lord is doing. And this was a moment... For Jesus to be with the Father like he has never been. Now, I, I'm not privy to the times that, that he spent with the Father when he spent all night in prayer. I don't know what was said. But obviously they had a relationship unlike any other. But this was different. We actually hear the agony that Jesus is going through in this moment. We feel the pathos and the pain that he's got to endure because he loves us and wants to do the Father's will. More than he wants to do his own. And he tells the disciples in the midst of this great pain. Be careful. Be watchful and pray. That you may not enter into temptation. Cautionary words to them. It, he's not even saying. I need your help. He's not asking and petitioning them to come and support him. He's just saying. Y'all are in trouble and you don't know it. You're in trouble and you don't know it. Now if you don't pray. You're going to be in, in trouble. You're, you're, going to, you're going to fall. You're going to, you're going to wind up being tempted beyond that which you are un, uh, able to bear. So pray. And I think he's talking on two levels. One, pray that you don't enter into temptation. Meaning you, you, your prayer life should be so strong that it keeps you away from the ordinary temptations of life. 
And then you need to pray specifically that you don't enter into temptation tonight. Prayer will keep you out of stuff. There will be things that you are not tempted to do because you've been with the Father and He changed the desires of your heart. You don't want to do it anymore. You get in a place of prayer. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. In the midst of his agony, he was concerned about the disciples. Our Jesus is amazing. Our God is amazing. So merciful. So other-oriented. Even in the midst of his great pain. And then he has a conversation with God. Lord, I, I don't want to go through this. I really don't. I'm telling you, I don't. I've never gone cross-grained to whatever you wanted. I've been your boy. Whatever you said, I did. But I'm telling you tonight, I don't want to do this. I don't. But as much as I don't want to do it, I want to do your will more. I want you to know, even though everything in me knows I should go right, I want to go left, but I'm going to go right anyway. I'm going to do it anyway because I want your will more than mine. It says that he, he went to this place in Matthew 26, which is a parallel passage to Luke 22, three times. Three times. How many, how many things did Adam have to violate in order to eat the fruit? He saw that the fruit was... Good to the eye, desirable to make one wise, and good for food. Three. Three times he went back. Something about this moment that was catalytic for all of us, that benefits all of us. And this conversation with God is one of those epic moments that allows us to know exactly how we ought to posture ourselves every time we want to talk to Him. Not just once, every time. The reason I say every time is because most of us never have to go through what Jesus went through at this moment. He was always postured to do the will of the Father. This was the only moment that He said, I'd rather not. And that was not because he wanted comfort. It was because there was something about this moment. And I don't even understand it in the Godhead. I've been to seminary. I've read books. I stay in my Bible. But whatever it meant when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know how in the world the Godhead just split for a minute. I don't know what that means. It's beyond my theological and cosmic understanding. But it's my greatest sense that that's what he did not want to happen. Not just the pain through which he went in his flesh. Not the nail in his hands and feet. But I'm separate from you. You're going to turn your face away from me. I've never known that. God, don't let that happen, Father. Don't let that happen. Please don't let that happen. But his humanity had to go through it in order for us to be redeemed. Because when he was fully rejected, we were fully accepted. 
He took all of our punishment, all of our sin, all of our anguish, all of our anxiety, all of our pain, every bit of it, so that we could be fully brought into the presence of God without a but. I love you, but. I accept you, but. There's no buts. None. And we surely don't deserve it. A conversation with God caused great drops of blood to be mixed in his sweat. Doesn't happen very often. But psychologists and psychiatrists will tell you that when stress overcomes a person to such a degree that it begins to manifest itself in the physical, sometimes the capillaries in the forehead can burst. And as he is crying out to the Father, something happened whereby blood was poured out even before blood was poured out. But there's something about praying like this. When you pray with such fervor, it says fervently he was praying. When you pray with such fervor to try to do the will of God well, to want his perfect, not just his permissible, and you come out of it and you are wasted. You are so tired you don't know what to do. You feel like you have spent yourself in the presence of God. If you have not gotten there, keep on living. Just keep on living. Well, let me say it this way. If you have not gotten there, keep on living and growing. Because some people keep on living and they never get there. Where you can't figure life out and the only place where anything makes sense is in His presence. Every time you come out, nothing makes sense. Your checkbook doesn't make sense. Your job doesn't make sense. Your marriage doesn't make sense. Your friends don't make nothing makes sense. The only place where anything makes sense is in his presence. And you have poured your heart out. Something happens whereby strengthening comes. I don't know that I've ever had an angelic visitation. Never seen one. Never, never. Not trying to either. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm good. I'm really good. I'm really good. Because when you look in the Bible, when angels show up, <laughs> I don't need any kind of supernatural manifestation to help me understand my rightness with God or what I need to do. I don't. But I do know this. It says that the angel of God, an angel of God, came to strengthen him in that moment. That when you have a desire to do the will of God and everything is pushing you in the opposite direction and you stay in his presence long enough to where your face is set to do north and cannot be deterred, God's strengthening comes to you so that when you walk out of there, nothing may make sense except you know what needs to be done and you cannot be deterred. Jesus comes out, <sighs> wiping his forehead. Okay, I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. We're going to do this thing. And he comes back third time. And the disciple is sitting there. 
He says, why are you sleeping? Why? This is the third time he has come to them. And the third time they slept. I, I can't, I, I feel a little self-righteous in this moment. Because I have hindsight. I know what's going to happen. And I know what they're going to be and I know what should have been done. But you have to understand, the disciples had no clue that he was going to be apprehended that night. They just thought it was another night. And they do this regularly. <laughs> they're not good prayers. They're not. And, and I mean, Jesus, he stays up all night. They never have. And so they're just probably doing what they normally do. But the urgency in Christ's voice lets them know this isn't normal. Yet in the midst of his great pain, he's still saying, I'm concerned about you in this moment that you're not going to respond well. And because you haven't heard my admonition about prayer, you're going to blow it. These disciples were complacent. Listen, we've got to be vigilant. We have to be vigilant. I realize you may not think it's important for you to pray when Pastor Brett says prayer. He says, come to prayer. He says, go to prayer. He says, pray in your prayer closet. Pastor Jim says, pray. People say, pray, and you go. (laughs) You may not think it's important. I get it because that's the way you've always lived. But I'm telling you, something's coming to all of our lives. We are all right around the corner from the next attack of the enemy. The next scheme to try to get us off course. To lure us away from doing the will of God. You've become somewhat of a target for him. I mean, I don't think that the devil is too concerned about you being saved. As long as you don't do anything here. If you just go to heaven, he'll help you get there quicker. I don't think he has any vested interest to try to, uh, uh, in trying to pack hell. I, don't, I just don't think he wants anybody to change the reality of him being the God of this world. But as soon as you start coming to Grace Covenant, as soon as you go to small groups, as soon as you start praying and getting in leadership meetings and getting disciples, he said, wait, 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 wait. What are you doing? That's not needed. Now you're trying to fix everything that's wrong here. And you get a big target on you. Welcome to war. This is our life. This is how we live. This, this isn't abnormal. And he is, he is doing everything he can to try to deter you. Or to ruin your testimony in the lives of others who need to know. Make you marginalized in their minds because now what you just did is just like they do it. You ain't no different than us. That's all I needed to see, bro. No, you ain't got to explain. You don't need to say you're sorry. That's all I needed to see. That's all I needed to hear. That's all I needed to know. Pray. Pray. That you may not enter into temptation. I'm not just talking about praying that you may not enter into temptation. 
as you leave this building. I'm talking about develop a life of prayer so that you may not enter into temptation. And, and turn off the snooze button. Get up. Say yes, Pastor. Yes. It got real quiet. I thought it was going to be a little bit more roused from that. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> we, need, we need to develop a lifestyle of prayer that allows us the privilege of bypassing temptation. There's stuff that used to, to capture my attention that doesn't anymore. It's not that I am no longer vigilant in these areas. I still pray the Lord's Prayer as if I was a believer for a week. So I'm asking God regularly, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I don't think I ever grow out of things that are elementary. I need these things in my life as pillars to do right. But I notice that in my growth, there are some things that used to Oh, that's kind of nice. That don't even attract my attention anymore. And it's because I've done some things, partnering with the grace of God, that allow me to not enter into temptation. He's not saying enter into sin. He's saying temptation. Develop a prayer life that allows you to live in victory and not have temptation darken your door. I'm not saying it won't. I'm saying you will progress to the place where it will happen fewer times than it would otherwise. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's pray.